but it doesn't change what I'm really chasing. Like when I was chasing the drugs, all I'm chasing for is the feeling of happiness and joy. So the only way I know how to get that is to actually give it to others. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode because I'm sitting down with Jeremiah Campbell. Now, today, Jeremiah is this remarkable family man with a multi-million dollar restoration company, leading a team of over 50 people and growing rapidly. But it wasn't long ago that he was in rehab for addiction five times before he was finally able to get sober and put his life together. And so what you're about to hear is a story of anything's possible and a story of inspiration that will paint the picture of no matter where you start, you can still end up anywhere you want to go. I cannot wait for you to hear his story unfold. Now, before we tell that story, one of my favorite things in the world is working with individuals like Jeremiah. And Jeremiah happens to be in my elite mastermind, but not everybody can afford to be in an elite mastermind. And so I wanted to create free training for people that also wanted to learn from me through free video training series. So if you want part of the free training, all you have to do is go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash free. Again, that is fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash free. And all of the free training videos will be located right there for you because I believe that there should always be as much free training out there as there is the training that you can pay for. Now let's dive into Jeremiah's story because it is remarkable. He was in rehab five times due to a drug and alcohol addiction. And so obviously we're gonna talk a lot about addiction and and how he beat it and his journey from being almost hopeless to this incredible life that he has now with his multi-million dollar company and his beautiful family and all of these people on his team counting on him. And of course, we're going to talk about his entrepreneurial journey, about what it's like to lead all these people and to offer them hope and opportunity because he sees the way he used to be in so many of them. But we also discuss self-doubt and how it creeps up on every one of us every single day. And if you have self-doubt creep up on you every single day, then you're going to love hearing about his routine and how he beats it daily. And of course, we talk generosity, and he does so many different things when it comes to generosity. It'll blow your mind. One of my favorites is he has started an entire sobriety recovery set of homes called Kyle's House, named after his brother that died from overdose. And he self-funds them so that he can do them the way he knows that they need to be done instead of trying to follow anybody else's regulations. Listen, this episode will inspire you. This episode will show you that anything is possible. And this episode will leave you better off than before we sat down with Jeremiah. So listen up, take notes, because here we go. Jeremiah, my friend, how you doing? Lost and highly favored. Oh, I love that answer. Welcome to the show. 
I'm really excited to dive in with you today. Um, you know, what most people, well, actually what everybody wouldn't realize is you are in my mastermind. And, and when we had that conversation, the interview about if it's a good fit or not, when I heard about your story, when I heard about the way that you live life from a loving and generosity standpoint, at the same time as being an incredible business person, I knew that you were made for this show. So I'm really excited for all the listeners for about what they're about to get, what's about to unfold. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right. So I know that you're a listener. And so I know that you know that I start with a rapid fire. It's a fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And then if something really good comes up that we want to do a deep dive on, we'll circle back around and do it. Sound good? Awesome. All right. Starting easy. Where'd you grow up? Detroit, Michigan, right outside of Detroit, uh, Roseville, Michigan. And where do you live now? Clinton Township, Michigan, about uh, 20 minutes from where I was born. Does that make you a diehard Lions fan? You know, I don't watch sports whatsoever. I've never sat through one sporting event. Wow. Okay. Impressive. Impressive. Uh, favorite quote? Uh, oh, man. There's a lot of them. I believe. Yes, you, you can or you can't. You're right. Oh, I love that. It's so true too. What's one of your superpowers? One of my superpowers, uh, my ability to multitask. What's one of your favorite books? Traction by Gino Wickman. Mm, that's a good one. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? Leadership. Um, I, I, lead, I lead with uh, group consensus a lot. Lack. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's tough, right? Because you want to involve them um, in some of the decisions, but when it's too much group consensus, that can really get out of hand on you. What's one thing you're... So I, that was one thing you're challenged by right now. What's one of your favorite accomplishments as far? Restructuring my business, um, going from a franchise model that I wasn't aware I was running to running an actual um, healthy company uh, that promotes and rewards within our core values. Yeah, it's a big undertaking. A couple more here. What's something generous you've done recently? Oh, I got this... Um, this thing that we do whenever I'm at a Starbucks. My wife loves Starbucks. Thank God I don't go there all the time with it. But um, we pay it forward. So every time I go to Starbucks, it costs me a hundred bucks. Whoa, I love that though. That's awesome. That's really cool. Last but not least, what are you grateful for today? My family, my family, my health. Oh, God, man. It's just your answer is right from when I said, how you doing? Right away, people are going to feel better leaving this, this episode. I can't wait. So I want to dive in a little bit deeper now because it was your story that blew me away. And one of my pet peeves is when people start a, a podcast with, oh, so take us back and tell us your story. Because I feel like that's such a generic question. But you've got such a good one. We have to start there. So <laughs> I want you to bring me back to one of the lowest points in your life. And we're going to build up from there. All right. Um, nothing traumatic happened in childhood. It was, it was, I was blessed. I was born... Um, in, in, in a great household, mom and dad fought, beat each other up and throwing pop bottles and stuff at each other. It was great. Um, I thought it was normal, right? And um, so somewhere along the line, I always felt not part of um, part of anything. I always wanted to be somebody different. Um, I never understood why. I thought it was normal. I didn't talk to anybody and bounce it off anybody. So I always had this lack, some, something inside me that I wasn't enough. I always wanted to be the kid down the street or somebody else. I never felt like I measured up. So I like... 15 years old, I entered high school, 14, 15. Somebody introduced me to marijuana. I started smoking weed and, and hanging out with uh, some kids I probably shouldn't have hung out with. Can't blame anybody. Um, parents told me not to, grounded me, did whatever they could possibly do to keep me away from um, the, where they thought I was heading and they were 100% right. Mm -hmm. So I have about 
15, I started uh, regularly smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, drinking with my friends, got introduced to pills progressively till I was about 18 years old, got out of high school, got a great job. Um, I, I was painting cars um, at, at this local place for GT project. It was very prestigious. Um, I excelled greatly and I got uh, introduced to Oxycontin. And I um, was working a lot of hours. I was working uh, like 75 hours a week, going to college full-time at night. And it kept me up. So I was mixing Adderall with Oxycontin and um, didn't realize I was speedballing. And I'd stay up for days on end. And uh, my life rapidly just went to nothing. Um, and, and I was 18 years old, got laid off from my job. Besides firing me, they laid me off. And, and I ended up in a rehab center when I was 18 years old. I just thought that I didn't realize. I remember waking up in bed one morning after I didn't have a job and thinking to myself, I'm, I'm chemically addicted to something. Like I remember first that feeling that withdrawal, they call it the gift of desperation. And I didn't realize how bad it actually was. So I'm laying in bed actually feeling the chemical withdrawal from not having the drugs um, and knowing at that point that I, I no longer had a choice. I had to continue to use drugs or they call it being dope sick or be sick. So drinking every day, partying every day, doing pills, doing Oxycontin, um, first treatment center. I thought I could just go back to being the person I was before I was a drug addict. Because at some point, a drug addict crossed the line and they can no longer have fun. It's just pure chaos and trouble. Mm -hmm. And I could cross the line. They talked about a cucumber and a pickle. And once a butterfly goes back and becomes a, a, a caterpillar to a butterfly... So I ended up, what happened was, um, fast forward five rehabs later, every time I tried to just drink, I tried to just smoke weed, I tried to just do a few things, but I didn't, I didn't realize that my disease was in between my ears. I didn't realize that I had a broken thought process. So going through being addicted to the chemicals and alcohol and doing all these things, five rehab centers later, I finally um, gave my life over to God. I gave my life over to God in the 12 steps. Um, started you know, working an active program and, and turning my life over. I found I, I didn't have a coming to moment. I had a very mis terrible misconception of who my God was and who my power was. I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. However, my sponsor gave me his God and said, here, dude. He's like, this God doesn't test you. And he, and he gave me an understanding of, a, of an infinite, infinite power that was loving and caring and would would just take me to places and just, just look over me and guide me. That's really powerful. I want, I want to go back to the very first time that you went into rehab. Who or what made you realize you had to go into rehab? The first time I went to rehab, I, I believe it was always me. Mm -hmm. My mom, um, my, at this point, my parents had got a divorce and my, I was living with my mom and she, she's, I, was, I was 18 years old, lost my job. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I, you know, I just, I'm a drug addict, mom. And she's like, no, you're not. I just Let's go get straight. And uh, so I went to five days in rehab, uh, five or seven days in rehab. And, and it was my mom who pushed me and said, Hey, man, you got to go do this. And she also picked me up and I called and said, I got to go. This isn't for me. I can't, I can't do this. And so it was the, it, it took three treatment centers within a 30 day to 60 day period back to back to back. I get out and I went to just continue to use. And they call it a relapse if you have some sort of sobriety in between rehab centers. I just left and continued to use. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, an actual relapse. So when I got into treatment number three is when I started to get a grasp of, wait a minute, there's something wrong with Jeremiah. 
Mm. It's not the drugs and the alcohol. It's, I don't have an issue with drugs and alcohol. Once I'm detoxed, it's not drugs and alcohol. It's me. It's my thinking. It's a thought process that takes place. I hear something on one side and, and, and I completely... A good buddy of mine, he always says, you have a broken thought process. Mm. So, so there was the third treatment center. I go back to my mom's house and um, she just said, well, is, is, is it enough? Is it is enough. And, and um, it was after the third treatment center, my brother um, also was doing drugs and he passed away of a drug overdose. So I think I had... 30 to 60 days sober. He was 18 years old. And we got a phone call. I was the one that actually got the phone call from one of his friends um, and they couldn't get a hold of my parents. So then I had to make the phone call to my mom and dad, to my sisters, my siblings. And, and I remember coming home and, and just looking at my mom's face and I can still, it's burned into my brain, the look on my mom's face when I looked at her and she just had, I mean, you can't describe that when she lost. And he was my youngest brother. So it was the youngest of four and he had passed away of a drug overdose. You went in at 18. This was now your third stint in rehab when your brother passed away. How old was he? 20, I, my brother was 18. I was 21. Okay. You were 21 at this point. So you've been battling this for three years so far. And then he passes away from overdose. And I'm guessing right. doing roughly the same drugs as you, right? Same drugs. Yeah. yeah. Was, that, when the, was that, you said you said earlier, you didn't have a big wake up call, but that had to be some kind of wake up call, I'm guessing. Yeah. Or no. You know, it definitely was. I mean, 100%. So, so this was actually, it was when, when, I, when my brother passed away, it was my fifth. So I knew at the depth of my soul after my third rehab center that I would never get high again. Like I knew my life got, to get, got good so fast. I continued to go to 12-step meetings. My life got so good so fast that I'm like, why would I ever go back to that? Look how beautiful my life is. I will never, ever drink a drug again. And I had a day shy, uh, eight months sober, sober and, and a buddy of mine, um, he's a lot to do with my story. He's the reason I, I do what I do for a living and the reason I'm with my wife. In uh, this guy, Kenny, he said, you want to get high? And I said, yep, sure do. And it was literally, I knew I would never get high again. I would never drink again. And he said, you want to get high? It was just that easy. That easy of an, uh, yes. Why? How did you go from, I will never do this again. I'm riding a high to in that very moment. Being like, sure, let's do it. Was it a weak moment? Was it a bad day? Or was it just that big of a part of you that it didn't take very much other than an invitation? I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Which um, was? So, which was I was supposed to be working with a sponsor. I was supposed to be working the steps. I was supposed to be um, being a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't the guy that needed a reason to get high like mm-hmm. or, or get drunk. I just did it because I liked the effect. Mm-hmm. It didn't, it, it, and that, that was, it, it was, I, I always worried when I was successful. Like I, people, people sometimes drink or drug when they get down. Mm-hmm. I was more apt to do it when I was up. Mm. So when I was really happy, nothing, nothing really, like, it, was, it, was, it was a compound effect. So they always say, it's not the bears, it's the mosquitoes that'll scare you out of the woods. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a multitude of small things, the 1%, the 2% of things, um, knowing you can get away with it. So there's certain character defects that I can't, I'm not a, I'm not a, I can't have greed, self-pity, anger, resentment, fear. I can't have those things. As a recovered alcoholic, I, I'm not able to, to deal with those, those, those small little character defects because they'll get me back to drinking and drugging. Because the person I am right now will use again, will get drunk again. The person I'm sitting in front of you today. What an incredible self-awareness, by the way, for you to sit there and say, 
with this family, right? With all the success you have right now, with, with all of this time sober, for you to sit there and say, hey, the guy who's sitting across from you right now, he will do this again. Is that part of the power is facing that and knowing that that is you and that's inside of you and, and instead of pretending that it's not? 100%. You couldn't have said it better. So my disease has a, a contract out of my butt. I mean, my, my disease, it's a disease. So once, you, once, I, once I actually realized, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is ingrained in me. So it's not nobody's fault. I just have this ism in my brain that tells me to do things that don't make specific sense. So it's the self. So me being here today, I have to expand and deepen on my spiritual experiences. So God and spirituality is the only thing that's going to keep me at content enough to be able to be a dad, to be a husband, to to be to be a friend. Like I didn't know any of those things. Like growing up, like I, I, I literally had this delusion in my brain at one point that I would have uh, two point five kids, a marriage, a white picket fence, and a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Like I literally thought one day I was going to wake up and that was going to take place. Mm-hmm. I never, I never realized like you cross a threshold in life that's like, oh wait a minute, like you're an adult now. Like I never, I thought there was like a handbook. I, I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> oh man, so. We left off, your brother passed away. It was your third time in rehab. You ended up in rehab two more times. And, and you know, before we get to the killer business you have and all that stuff, we really need to paint this journey. What, so, what, what happened in, in rehab number five that you finally were able to stay sober? So I made my connection. So my brother passed away after number five. I, I haven't picked up a drink or a drug since my brother's been sober. So mm-hmm. it was after rehab number five. Uh, that I went to the, four, the, the first four times I was at the same treatment center. And uh, they told me I was no longer welcome back. They said, Jeremiah, they're like, we can't help you go somewhere else. So uh, yeah, it was, it was one of my best friend's dads. Actually, I was dating my wife at the time. And, and one of my best friend's dad lived next door to my wife, her parents' house. And he, say, he came over with a drug testing kit and said, if your daughter's boyfriend is using heroin and you need to do something about it. And, and they made me try to try to give me a drug test. So I, I was 19, 20, 20, 20 or 21 at the time. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was three weeks after I turned 21. And um, I said, all right. So instead, what does a, what does a grown 21-year-old do? They call their mother. Mm-hmm. So I called, my mom. <laughs> I called my mom and I said, mom, they're trying to make me take a drug test. And my mom's always, she's just as crazy as I am. She says, no, no, they're not. So instead of, t- instead of going over there to drug test, she, you know, we went to rehab. Wow. All right. So... You came out of rehab number five. What was different? I had a connection. I knew if I could get sober again, that I could stay sober. Because I knew the effects of the 12 steps while executed properly in my life, not working Jeremiah's program, working the program, working the 12 steps. I knew that there was hope there for me. So I knew if I could just stay away from the drugs long enough for my mind to free up, to clear up, they call it their head popping out of their ass. Mm-hmm. Out of the, so, so if I could just get to that point, I knew I, I was the guy that people would get high with and they would just, they wouldn't want to get high with me because I was the guy that would get high and then preach about how we shouldn't be getting high. Yeah. Yeah. So you always had that, that good side inside of you where you're like, wait, we shouldn't be doing this. Like you knew you had awareness. Yes, correct. And you wanted to be the good influence on people around you. 100%. Wow. Okay. So how long has it been since you left rehab last? July 26, 2007. So 11, this July will be 12 years, God willing. Wow. Congratulations. And I've seen that you have a 
beautiful family. Congratulations. You have a beautiful business. Congratulations. But when did you go from the guy who really only knew rehab up to that point to the guy who said, I want to be a successful business person and I think I can? I think it was other people's belief in me more than mine ever. And I might be that still to this day. So I have uh, a way. The only reason I started my own business, the honest to God truth, is because nobody would give me a job. I was unemployable. I was I was the definition of a derelict. What a like, gift in a weird way. Oh my gosh. I, I couldn't even... And I was at a 12-step meeting. <laughs> this guy comes up to me and he was well-dressed and he had a can of Red Bull and he had bought store-bought cigarettes and I was rolling them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, I haven't smoked cigarettes in over 11 years. And, um, and, and, and he said, hey man, you want a job? And I'm like, yeah, sure do. I'm like, didn't even ask him what he did. He just looked really cool and he was smiling. And I'm like, that was the glimpse. That's all I needed was that little glimpse of hope. Wow. And, and I said, what do you do? And he goes, hey man, you're gonna come canvas with me. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but what, how do I need to dress? He's like, dress like me. So that's where it started. And, and I was laying tile for my neighbor at the time, like, you know, just being his labor horse for eight bucks an hour. And I went out and we went tan. He, my, this guy, Kenny, took me tanning. He took, <laughs> he took me tanning, right? So we go tanning. He buys me a Red Bull and a pack of cigarettes. He goes, hey, we're going to go knock these doors because we're going to fix their porch. Wow. So you guys went around looking for porches that are kind of falling down and then went and pitched them. You got it. What were you thinking? Were you thinking, oh my God, this is awesome. Or I just walked into the, the worst job on the planet. It wasn't a job to me. It was, it was what is this guy? He reminds me of Rain Man and um, just an amazing, amazing specimen of a man. <laughs> and he's like, watch this. And he like ran up to this door and he was a, he was a born door knocker. Mm-hmm. He was he, literally, he could just conversate with anybody. I mean, just, just an amazing, and I would watch him and I'm like, this isn't real life. I've actually like, met some of those guys. Like they are just born salespeople. It's it's incredible. It's, it's it's an art form in itself. He can yeah. he can do talk to anybody. He can talk anybody into anything. And I'm like, wow. So we start. I started knocking doors, and I knocked the door, and he said, "You're going to tuck point this porch." And I'm like, what is tuck pointing? And I called it tongue and grooving. And I and I knocked on this guy's <laughs> gentleman's door, and I'm like, hey, sir, can I tongue and groove your porch? And he just looked at me. He's like, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> so I said, I said, I said. Uh, I didn't know how to bid it. I didn't know the price. So I, I yelled over to Ken. I said, Kenny, come here. And I said, this gentleman would like his stuff done. And I think he charged him $325. And um, I, so he so he ended up selling the project because he was a good salesman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know nothing about it. And, and I came home the next day from laying tile for 12 hours for maybe 80 bucks. And um, there was a $100 bill on my, my dresser. And I said, mom, what's this? I figured my mom gave it to mm-hmm. me. And, uh, and she goes, Kenny, drop that off. Oh, you were hooked. That was your slice. Yeah, well, that's all I needed. That's incredible. All right, there's been all this buildup. People are probably wondering what in the world you do. You own an incredible company now that's doing millions of dollars a year called Brickworks Michigan, right? Brickworks, am I? Yeah, Brickworks Property Restoration is what the name of it is. Okay, perfect. And what do you guys do exactly? So we specialize in masonry repair and restoration and then foundation repair. So it's, it's, we do anything from historic, um, replacing window lentils, any kind of brick or block home any vertical surface, we come in and we stop water from getting in above window lentils, replacing that. We add new openings, new doors. So we're a very niched market. 
is what really cool stuff though, especially when you rehab historical things, right? Like, I mean, that's a real art. So how big is your team now that you run? You'll see where I'm going with this. So my team, we have on payroll this week, 57 people. Wow. Okay. Congratulations. That is no small task. And what is it like now when you look back that it's just what 2011 was last time in rehab? Yep. No, yeah. Right. So when you look back and now that you're running this team of 57 people looking up to you, counting on you for their jobs to stick around, counting on you to make this company successful. Can you believe that you've come this far? No, it's, it's, so, it's so surreal. And, and I spend hours a day working on my identity just to, just to understand and verify, why do these guys come to work? Mm, this is good. Okay, you guys, there's so many, all of our listeners are entrepreneurs mostly, right? And you are one of the first people ever to bring this up. You spend time every day working on your identity because our identity will make or break us. It'll sabotage us. It'll take something that we built and it'll crush it because our identity is not what it needs to be. So how do you work on your identity daily? So, so for me, yeah, it's 2007, last time I was in rehab and, and um, my identity. So I don't know about you, but I wake up two, three days a week, doubt, fear, anxiety, just, just, just this. And, and it's not my thinking. It's, it's my subconscious mind when I go to sleep. Something in me says, Jeremiah, you're not enough. Jeremiah, they're going to find out you're fake. Jeremiah, the, you're, 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 you're gonna, the other foot's going to fall. And, and I wake up this way and I'm like, I know my creator didn't bring me this far to drop me here. And I know what I'm capable of. And I know there's blood on my teeth and I know I'm, I'm going to the next level. Like that's un, I mean, that's no matter what happens to me in my life, I know I'm getting there, but except my mind, because whatever I believe I'm going to justify in my life by telling myself it's true. And everything I do, all my actions are going to verify that it's true. Mm-hmm. So beliefs, for me, I, I literally wake up, brush my teeth. As I'm brushing my teeth, I said, I say to myself, I say, uh, mantras like you, like you do, you know, you do with Lori. I look at myself. I say, listen. I said, you're incredible. I mean, look at you. You're, you're a, you're a, you, you don't. Nobody's going to outwork you. Nobody's going to tell you um, what you can and can't do. You're capable of anything. You're. I've never failed a task that I've been up against. Um, and then I, then I start. I don't even have to think back to who I was. It's. I want to be grateful for the untangible. Yeah, the cars, the houses, the all of that's wonderful. But it doesn't change what I'm really chasing. Like when I was chasing the drugs, all I'm chasing for is the feeling of happiness and joy. So the only way I know how to get that is to actually give it to others. Mm. So like that, that's like that's like the secret sauce now. And 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 I had I had an opportunity to ask Dean Graziosi in person. I said, Dean, I said, listen, man, I said, I said, I, I, I struggle with my why. Why am I doing this? Because I want nice stuff. And that stuff never gives it to me ever. So what I'm searching for is to make people proud of me. And that's like the real, my mom, my wife, my kids, you, this podcast, the audience. I just want people to look at me and say, you did a good job. I still search for that. And, 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 and that is only temporary because I need to know that I did a good job. And that's part of your daily practice is acknowledging that good job and telling you who you really are despite any doubts that are creeping in. What else? Do you, I love that when you're brushing your teeth, you're telling yourself those mantras. I had chills while you were doing that. Is there anything else you do during the day to uh, sell yourself on who you really are and where you're going? Oh, that's before I even walk out of my bedroom. <laughs> all right, good. Lay it all on us, man. I want to hear yeah. the routine. 
So I wake up um, 4.30 every morning. I get up at 4.30. I try to get six hours of sleep, wake up at 4.30. That happens two to three days a week. Other days, I just don't want to get out of bed. And then uh, I, I literally say to myself, I'll be laying there in bed, go to hit the snooze button. And I say, most won't, I will. Most won't, I will. Most won't, I will. And I don't care what it takes me. I just hop out of bed. I don't know. Like, I don't know if anybody else is, but that's what I have to tell myself. It's true. So I get out of bed. I brush my teeth. Tell myself how wonderful I am, how glorious the day is going to be, and 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 I and I have alarms that go off on my phone like six times. It's it's kind of annoying. Like six times a day, they say, "Wait for the magic. The magic is here. It's about to happen." Um, so, you know, put your fear into the unknown. Detach from what you think reality is going to be, because what I found is the more I spend trying to plan out the how, I, I totally screw everything up. And it's just and I learned these principles in in twelve steps is. That, I, I can I can make plans, but you can't plan the outcome because it's a resentment waiting to happen. Mm. So I can't put expectations on things. I just say my intention is to like one of my big goals right now in the next three years is I, w- I want to have ten people making over a hundred thousand dollars within my organization. Is is one of my big goals, mm. and um, I'm going to make it happen. I don't know how, and I don't know who. I got like three of them that are already doing it, and I'm like, how do I get up there to to get these guys to make this caliber money? So then. That's before I hit the stairs. And then I come downstairs and I meditate. So I go right in my basement and, and I do 20 minutes of meditation. Um, I do, I've done TM, I've done sweat lodges, I've done step profession, the, 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 the tanks, I've done, I mean, you name it, I've done it. I, I'm real big into Dr. Joe Dispenza mm-hmm. and his all, every one of his types of meditations. Um, but I got to get okay with me. And, and I really struggle with that. Wow. Being okay with me. So I when's the last I'm a human being. When's the last time I was being anything? Mm-hmm. So that's the only time that I can get just and so I'm not good at it, Chris. I don't like, think anybody is, to be very honest with you. I don't think anybody is. You're just doing a better job of putting into words than most people do. I'm loving this. Thank you. Yeah. So so I'll sit there and meditate. I got the muse headband. I'll put that on and measure measure my brain waves and, and uh, so I'll meditate for 20 minutes. And then uh, I train for 45 minutes. I have a gym in my basement. And um, so I'll get through my training and I do my breakfast and my rituals. And the whole time uh, I'm listening to For the Love of Money or I'm doing whatever I do while I work out to get my mind. And, and I'm not kidding you. It's, a, it's like an hour and a half process in the morning of audiobooks, podcasts, and positive affirmations nonstop. And sometimes it still doesn't work. Sometimes I still get negative. It doesn't matter sometimes. It, it, it's just... I don't have to act out in any sort of way because then I go right from my house, right to my right to my office, and I go to my office, and there's fifty plus individuals that are there that, that depend on me mm-hmm. to to make sure that I can just put the right dots in the right places, make enough profit to actually make their checks cash. Wow. Okay. And this it, is this is freaking remarkable. The fact that you do all that work every single day instead of just once in a while is why you are thriving by the way and listen your when you were not sober that battle that challenge was really just a metaphor for anyone else who's listening where maybe theirs is depression right maybe theirs is bad relationships maybe theirs is self who knows what it's a challenge that you have chosen to overcome by choosing a new identity and reinforcing that identity every single day not choosing it years ago and hoping it sticks you choose it clearly, as you've described, with massive intention every single day. And, and that is so valuable for everybody to hear because we all doubt ourselves. We all wonder if we're going to wake up one day and find out we're an imposter or all wake up one day and find out 
if what we're teaching doesn't work or, you know, everybody has that. And if you don't have something in place to show up the way you want to show up, you're going to sabotage yourself. So I love that you're sharing all this. I want to talk about the people that are counting on you. You're 50 some employees. I can tell you really care about them. I can tell that you love them. I love that one of your goals is to have 10 people making six figures because that's a goal, not around sales or profit. That's a goal around lifting other people up and that's what'll make you successful. And I applaud you for that. When you look at all of those 50 some people, do you see people that might be on a path kind of like you were on if you're not there and if you're not helping them? Yeah, it's creating opportunity. Yeah. So one of the coolest things about what I do is nobody likes to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Like what we do is hard, hard work. Um, My guys get paid and compensated very well for what they do. Um, But at the end of the day, it's not pleasurable. Like, I mean, we we dig, we're either below ground or up on roofs. Crawl spaces, all that stuff, right? Yeah, it's it's not it's not pretty. So, the guys that most most of my, I would say 80, 70 to eighty percent of my team, I call them my team. They're not employees. Employees punch in and out. These guys are here. I mean, it, it's it is uh, seven forty five Michigan time, and I've gotten three phone calls from my team members just reporting to me on, on how it's going since we've been on this call. Wow. And um, I have this really amazing t- opportunity when... So I volunteer at um, the prison locally for 12-step meetings. Um, I go to a lot of 12-step meetings. Um, my partner and I have men's recovery homes um, where we help people get sober. Um, and, and, and we don't take any subsidies from the, any, anybody or anybody. So we make our own rules. And it's got the best reputation around. We named it Kyle's house after... Um, my little brother after he passed away. And uh, it's like our life mission, my, my partner, Will, and I. And, and um, so these guys come in and they're, they're completely hopeless. We call them hopeless dope fiends because that's what I was. And we're going to turn them around into dopeless hope fiends. Oh. And, and I get the opportunity to take these guys and, and pour into them and inspire them and show them a path. Because a lot of these guys... Let's face it, they got, they got bad criminal backgrounds and, and nobody's giving them a chance or an opportunity. And if, it, if, if they don't have opportunity, then they're going to go right back to what they were doing, aren't they? Bingo, 100%. Do you so think that's why you're really doing this? I mean, it's a lot of work to grow and run a multi-million dollar business and have 50 teammates plus that are counting on you. Do you think you're doing this because you're afraid of not creating the opportunity for people or is there a different motive? Um, that's very, I mean... I wish I could say yes, because that makes me sound really good. And that is a huge part of it. That's what, that's what keeps me up at night. And it, it's, the, it's to know that it's for them. Because ha- it, it, without a company like mine or me and, and a safe place to work, like we, we drug test our guys at, the, at the, the recovery homes and at my office. If the guy looks like... But we take these guys and give them an opportunity and a chance to, to make themselves. And what that creates is raving fans. Mm-hmm. Of my brand and of who we are, it creates it. What what it, what it really creates is loyalty and, and love for not just me, but I have these letters on, on on my office wall right over here from guys that have been with me. One of my main guys, Ian's been with me for. I mean, he he made my first flyer for me back in two thousand and seven, and he made my very first flyer for me. And his mom and dad wrote me a letter three years ago about he wouldn't be the person he is today without. My, my, me and the company. And I'm like, I can't take credit for any of that, but that's my creator. That's God. That has nothing to do with me. But that's these guys come in and, and, and they have an opportunity and a chance to make something of themselves. Now, 
a good percentage of them never make it past the two week point. Mm -hmm. There is a really good percent of them. What percent? One, can you can you share like roughly? I would say I would say the odds of a of a of a of somebody that used drugs and alcohol like me statistically, I think it's under two percent. What about what you're seeing though? The number of guys that you give a chance to and they don't make it past two weeks, 50%, 75%? Longer than, no, we got a way better rate than that because we, we get to watch them. Yeah. We get to watch what they do. We make sure that they attend the meetings. We make sure that we put their recovery in front. Give me a number, just okay. estimate. I would, say, I would say 60% don't make it past two weeks. So think about that. If the, if the average is only, did you say 3% are going to make it? Yeah, 2%-ish, yes. 2%? And 40% are making it past two weeks because of the love and opportunity you're giving them. Think about how huge of a spread that is, how many success stories that is compared to if you didn't offer this opportunity to people. Correct. That's massive. No, I hear, yeah, my partner does the same thing. And it's just, and it, and what we're doing is we're creating these opportunities, but it's also growing our brand and it's growing our awareness. So this group, Families Against Narcotics, started um, right after my little brother passed away as well. And, they, and it's, a, it's a, an amazing way. They basically made it just like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Um, but this was for narcotics because they came around and it was such a big, massive... And, and I got heavily involved in that. Um, and we went in and they said, Hey, man, how, are you gonna, how, how can we help these kids not use drugs? And we said, let us in to talk to your kids. Wow. That's incredible. So, Rod. No, I was just going to say, I, I've got chills. I, I absolutely love what you're doing. So what's next for you and your company? So we started this year, we started a um, Brickworks Academy. So where we're taking our greenhorns, the guys that don't know much about the business. And we started training and we sent them with a three-week accelerated course. So we're continuing to grow the, the business. Um, we, we just launched a new line last year um, where we do foundations. We pull sinking houses out of the ground, basement walls, things like that. Um, we're able to um, reach a broader spectrum. So me and my personal development stage, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally never ending, evolving. And it's such a mission of myself to just see what I'm truly capable of doing. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm super excited about in two weeks coming out to meet you and, your, and, and my first uh, mastermind event is, is just being around like-minded people um, and, and just growing my brand, growing my awareness um, spending a lot of time, like I, I have mad respect for you and Lori and, and what you guys did with your, with her brand and your brand. Um, and, and my wife's the same way. And I'm just super excited. Uh, your, your story inspired me to start helping her with her brand. Mm, God, I love that. That's really cool to hear. Let's talk about generosity. Because one of the things that really struck me when we were talking and you were interviewing for the mastermind and all that stuff was the generous heart that you have. I mean, look at your answer earlier when we were in rapid fire and I said, what's something recently you've done? You said, well, every time I go to Starbucks, it costs me a hundred dollars because we do a pay it forward thing. Tell me about the role of generosity in your life right now. There's nothing that makes you feel better. When you can see something and, and, it, and it's doing something without anybody knowing it. So when, when I'm able to donate money or any kind of charities or somebody that reaches out to me or, or Christmas time when um, we, there was a, there's another group I'm a part of and, and it's a 100% tip. So whatever your bill is, you tip 100% of that bill. And uh, we do that for the month of December. And um, man, some just the, the look on people's faces. Uh, you can really touch people and affect their lives. And, and what, what it does, in my opinion, is it gives other people hope of the good in the world. 
And how can you want to do bad? Like for Starbucks, it, it's not, it doesn't affect me to give the $100. So, so, but nobody's ever going to know I did it. But the joy and happiness that they're going to have on their face, it's a compound effect. That's Including the workers, having they're having a better day because you're doing that. It lights them up. Some of them are confused. They're like, we can't do that. And I'm like, yes, you can. And they're like, no, I don't understand. Like, like, well, no, I can't take a hundred dollar bill, Starbucks. And that's how I originally started doing it because they're like, I can't take a hundred dollar bill. And I'm like, just keep it. <laughs> like, give it to everybody else. But it's it's that it's something that happens. It's a spiritual thing, right? Like where it touches you at places, no pair of shoes for the wife, or no car, or no house, or nothing will give you the way that that will make me feel. God, I absolutely love that. Right down to the fact that you now self-fund these recovery homes so that you don't have to take any outside funding, so that you don't have to play by other people's rules. You wouldn't be able to do that if you weren't first successful. Is that right? 100%. Yeah. You, 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 yeah, correct. You are saving lives, not changing lives. You're going next level. You're saving lives because of your success. Therefore, you know, uh, pairing your success with your generosity, you're saving lives. Thank you. What, uh, where'd this come from? Why do you think you're this generous? I mean, it's gotta be from my parents. My mom, my mom never really had as much as a blessing as it was. My mom really had no real value in money and money means nothing to her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't understand why I work as hard as I do. And, and what I do in my life, she's like, Jeremiah, it doesn't mean anything to your, your kids just want you there. They don't, they don't, not the money, the houses. Uh, and, and I like having stuff or a part. Like when I don't have a crazy project going on or a house flip or uh, it's like a hundred things ripped apart and I don't... I, I got this weird thing that I do. It's like rules don't apply to me. I always like think way outside the box. I don't ask permission, beg for forgiveness. And so people watch me that love me. And I, I let very few people into my heart and into my life. I, I'm very protective of my time because of my... Especially because of my two children. Um, and, and, and it's just... It's got to be from my mom. My wife is one of the most generous person. Like I would not be... I mean, I can't even... First off, I don't think I'd be alive without my wife. Just from her being my anchor. Um, 100% just her being there for me at all. Like, she handles the children. Like She's upstairs putting both kids to bed right now. Bathe them. Get them ready for school. And she... she without her, none of this would be possible. So it's the, it's the women in my life. And, and it wasn't through hours and hours and tens of hours of writing within the last two months where I realized how important those two women are because without them, it's like nothing's possible. It's incredible. I've got a few people I want you to give a message to. The first one is this. Anyone who's struggling with addiction and they think their life is not going to turn out worth living, what's your message to them? My message to somebody that doesn't think it's worth living, give yourself a chance. Don't quit five minutes before the miracle happens. You're worth it. The self worth of a human soul. You can I mean, you can't. It can. There's no money. There's nothing that'll actually make it make it worth taking that. Some people talk, look at me and they say, Jeremiah, I say, like, oh, man, you struggle all the time. And I watched an interview with Oprah one time, and they're like, Wow, you struggle. I don't struggle at all, ever. And it's 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 the twelve steps that, were, that have worked in my life that have continued to evolve and change me. So there is hope. 
there, there's, there's a way. Like I think like them. So I would tell them to reach out to me, to DM me, to get a hold of me. And I will have that conversation with them. That I, have, I have books and literature and, and things that I have read. Um, I have a, a sponsor that I call and bounce the ideas off of. You go through my phone book, 90% of the people are sober. It's not because I just, I just, it's, it's a way, just like when you get into personal development, you, you cut the people that don't believe in the supernatural and the unknown, the people that don't believe that you can't, you can't hang out with them anymore. Yeah. Cause you just want, you start to lose things in common, right? Cause you want to live at an elevated level and they don't, and it just becomes awkward. So you don't, it's not like you're leaving them behind. You just, you go up to another level and they're not ready to come along. I spent so many years of my life hanging out around people. And I'm like, I don't know. And I don't watch sports. So like, what do you talk about? Like the weather? How long do you talk about the weather for? I'm like, I want to talk about how I can make myself better so I can better impact other people. Like, that's all I want to talk about. Like, if you can't help me get there, sorry. Yeah, I love that. Okay, the next person I want you to give advice to is this. Why don't you go back to when your friend, Kenny, when he said, hey, want a job? Come along with me. And you made that first $325 sale, not knowing what you're doing. He gave you a hundred bucks from that guy who's wondering if he'll ever have a company that makes millions and millions and millions of dollars and employs over 50 teammates. What's your advice to that person? Believe in yourself. You're worth it. You can do it. Um, just, just, just keep your head down, keep your nose to the ground and just keep on grinding. Um, I got this weird dynamic between flow and grind and what's the best way to do it and detachment and and going after your goals and seeking your goals and, and where you're getting advice from. And it's and it's it, it's just believe in yourself and, and know that you're worth it and raise your standards. Don't settle for don't don't like it, it, everybody is stuck on this force of average and and like it, it, it's next to impossible to blow through it. But the longer and the more I blow through it, it's like this triangle. And at the top, it's really it's not that hard up there. Just get up there to that point. And it, it, there's a lot less competition up there. Mm, I love that. Before I ask you last two questions, I want to know this. Where can people get a hold of you? Because earlier you're saying, hey, if someone's struggling, DM me, reach out to me. Where should people follow you? My personal Instagram is um, at Jeremiah underscore Campbell. Okay. Jeremiah Campbell. All right. Second to last question. Of all the giving you do, and I know it's a ton, What's one of your all-time favorite moments? Non-monetary would be, I would say sponsorship. Um, watching, watching a sponsee um, get multiple years sober or watching a sponsee get married. Um, the volunteering in the prison. Um, just I, I did that for almost seven years straight. And I, I, watching these guys get out of prison, I would do level one. And, and I would help these guys transition and bridge out of prison. Just the, just the rewarding factor and, and nobody knew who I was or where I, and I could just watch them from afar. And it was like watching your kid grow up. And these, these are grown men and I'm 30, I'm 32 years old and, and watching those people uh, do that. Just, it just touches. Man, I love that. Last question. Why should somebody be unapologetic about their pursuit of success? You can't give away what you don't have. Mm-hmm. So continuing to, I, I can't affect people and I can't just, I can't be who God intended for me to be without being successful. I mean, who's going to listen to somebody if they have 200 followers? Wow. Wow. Mic drop. You can't give away what you don't have. I love that. Like you need the spotlight 
And you need the tool to be generous, don't you? 100%. You, you can. I mean, you, it's impossible. Man. And, my, and that's your mother, Teresa. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. I love that. Jeremiah, listen, I'm so grateful that you came on and you vulnerably shared your story. I'm so grateful that you came on and, and really painted the picture of chance and opportunity that you give other people. And you know, just the, very, the, the advice that you gave, everything that you've given in this past 45 minutes has been an absolute gift. That is really probably just a metaphor for the huge gift that you keep giving to everybody out there. And, and so for that, I want to say thank you. Thanks for having me on. Man, seriously, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.